The Single Tracks podcast is brought to you by TPC, the pros closet. Now is the perfect time to upgrade, and TPC has an industry-leading selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, plus frames, wheels, and accessories. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced, and every bike includes 30-day returns. Visit tpc.bike forward slash singletracks and enter code singletracks40 to save $40 on every order over 200 That's the pros closet at tpc.bike slash singletracks. And look for the link and coupon code in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to talk about mountain bike drivetrains. There's been some news, news, new products and things that have come out uh, sort of recently. And so, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. But before we do, uh, Matt, let's talk about some of the stuff that's happening in the mountain bike news lately. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's Thursday. We're recording on a Thursday, um, and you'll be listening to this on a Tuesday, but on Thursdays, uh, we do a feature called Trail Flow, and it's where we recap all the trail news of the past week. So, yeah, what's going on with mountain bike trails this week, Matt? Yeah, yeah. If we can get like uh, <clears throat> one of those breaking news sound bites, the drum roll and sirens <laughs> yeah. and things like that, would be a good cue for it. Uh, yeah. No, um, yeah, a couple of news items from the past. Uh, I guess two weeks that uh, seemed worth recapping. And so, yeah, starting off with um, some news from our trail uh, news roundup today um, in that there are two new bike parks in New Hampshire and Utah. Um, mm. Both are potentially lift served, which is cool. The mm-hmm. one in New Hampshire is um, it's at uh, Granite Gorge Mountain Park. Um, okay which just dug out their first green trail, which actually looks super cool for uh, a green radar trail. And it's supposed to have a bunch of features and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. pretty cool that there is a new lift serve uh, bike park in New Hampshire. And also cool timing that uh, Brighton resort in Utah, uh, pretty longstanding ski resort also announced they're building a mountain bike trail network. They haven't mm-hmm. said whether it's, uh going to be lift served or just pedal access but it's got lift serve ski terrain they're building mountain mm-hmm. bike trails so i think we can keep our fingers crossed for it yeah yeah like you said brighton's pretty well known and a pretty big resort uh from what i know of it and so yeah potential for a lot of trails and i'm guessing like you said it's going to be lift served since they've already got the lifts and everything there yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty cool just to see more uh, more of these resorts making uh, bike parks like Powder Mountain in Utah, pretty close by Brighton. Um, they just opened their first bike park last year and mm-hmm. are working on a bunch of new trails and stuff for it too. So, yeah, always cool to get more bike parks. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in other trail news, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, um, one of the things we covered was uh, a a rider who was actually murdered uh, on a trail in New Mexico near Silver City. What happened there? What was going on? Yeah, it's pretty wild uh, and tragic and uh, uh, just really sad. Um, it, about as random as it can get, a uh, mountain biker went out for just a regular ride. Um, uh, at the Fort Bayard uh, trail system, and mm-hmm. he didn't return home later. So his uh, family got in touch with law enforcement, reported him missing. They went to the area and found that he'd been shot dead. Mm. Um, it was a completely random attack, at least uh, is what it appears to be. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, the suspect had had a, numerous encounters of like these kinds with. Uh, people at different trail systems, uh, people at this trail system, people at other um, public open spaces before and have been arrested multiple times and released multiple times. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just super sad. Like it's, uh, I think it could have been anyone that had gone out for a ride and it happened to be mm-hmm. this guy who was a community member and um, was uh, murdered. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is that they caught him pretty quickly and yeah, I mean, sounds like this person yeah, could have kept doing that, which would, which would be even scarier, but yeah, yeah. glad, glad they were able to catch him. And then, uh, another unfortunate tragic death at a trail system, uh, this time due to the heat and it's, it's been hot. A lot of places definitely been hot here in Georgia, hotter than usual. And, uh, that makes riding tough for sure. Uh, dehydration, heat stroke, there's all those sorts of risks. And in this case, it was the bikers were actually, it sounded like they were pretty well prepared initially and that they were like trying to help out some hikers and then the bikers ended up getting in trouble themselves. Is that kind of what happened? That, yeah, that's, uh, what I read from some local TV stations in, San Diego is that there's a group of mountain bikers. One of them offered to help a group of hikers with water um, mm-hmm. and ended up not having enough for himself later on. Um, it sounds like he stayed put. Some of his friends went and got help. And mm-hmm. then uh, Ryder ultimately passed away after he was airy-backed out of the area. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's just been super hot uh, in a lot of places in the u.s um so good to be mindful of your hydration yeah definitely i've run into that a couple of times myself um once real early on like when i was in high school riding with a friend and he had run out of water and got severely dehydrated and had to be hospitalized um i've had friends who've had to be hospitalized um and then i even had to call 911 from a trail once uh, because I had run out of water and had a broken bike and was yeah experiencing extreme heat exhaustion and so yeah definitely something to be mindful of and it's it's sad every time we hear about it um, but yeah that's just I, that's part of riding in the summertime yeah definitely uh, and it, I mean there's just been record heat all over the place uh, and there's another incident in uh, Oregon where one rider was, um, well, two were injured in, I think, the same race, a uh, 100-mile race hmm. in Deschutes County, and one was uh, treated for heat exhaustion, ended up um, being fine, I believe, but uh, was evacuated from there. And um, yeah, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Take geez. enough water. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in other news, Crankworks wrapped up, um, I guess it was this past weekend, and one of our contributors, Sam James, was out there checking out the scene. Um, he was there early in the week, and it sounds like it was kind of rainy, kind of wet. He he said it was kind of Pacific Northwest weather while he was there, right, right. which kind of put a damper on things. Um, but yeah, um, had some interesting finds uh, that he checked out at the show. And actually, I, some of the more interesting stuff, I think, is going to be some of the upcoming coverage uh, where we were getting a little more in depth after doing some test rides on some interesting bikes. I know Sam got to try out Canyon's uh, steering stabilizer system. And so, yeah, that one, that one should be interesting. And then we actually have another contributor who checked out a couple bikes there, including the forbidden Druid V2, uh, which is a high pivot trail bike. So a little bit shorter travel than, some of the other high pivot bikes that are out there. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear kind of how that one rode as well. Yeah, totally. I've been wanting to try that bike for a long time. It just looks super cool and uh, has some pretty cool suspension technology to it. So it'd be cool to yeah. hear how it uh, rode. Yeah. Is, was there anything else that you saw like from press releases or through Sam's coverage or anything that looked interesting to you? Uh, yeah, definitely. He had uh, some cool bikes um, sprinkled throughout. I think one of the different things about Crankworks this year, it seemed like, is, um, and this might speak to the bike industry as a whole this year, is that there, it, a lot of years, there's a lot of big bike releases timed around Crankworks. And mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there were any, as many, <laughs> uh, yeah. this year. Um, yeah. And with the climate just kind of being that... Uh, everyone has an excess of bikes right now. Um, mm-hmm. it seems like companies aren't really releasing as many this year. Um, so that's one thing that at least seemed different from 
where I'm at right now. Uh, yeah. In Crankworks. Yeah, definitely. Um, though we have seen, we've seen a few new bikes come out the last few weeks, uh, that we've covered. So one of them, mm-hmm. I guess was the carbon version of the fluid. Uh, is that, that was a bike that seems like you're kind of excited about that one. Yeah, I know that Norco did really well with the aluminum fluid last year. It was like one of those bikes um, where they released an aluminum version first and it had really good suspension and geometry and just built a lot of hype around that bike. And now they've mm-hmm. got a carbon version for it, um, which I always think is is cool and sort of the opposite uh, tactic of what we'll talk about with SRAM's Eagle transmission hmm. today and that their Norco's released a more affordable, more accessible version ahead of, uh, their more premium carbon mm-hmm. build. Um, yeah. so yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Interesting. And we also saw a couple of new e-bikes just in the last week or two. Um, again, Sam James, one of our contributors, uh, was at a media camp to check out the new pivot AM or the shuttle AM, the pivot shuttle AM, uh, which yeah. is a all mountain electric bike, uh, that it looked, it looks pretty sweet and he got to test it in Crested Butte. Um, so that was, that's a big release and pivot, like a lot of other bike companies we're starting to see, um, you know, initially brands like worked really hard to just get an electric bike in their lineup. And now we're seeing them kind of like differentiate the bikes um, and and differentiate them even more. So it's like they had one and then they'd be like, okay, we have like a lightweight, you know, sort of trail bike. And then we have like an enduro bike. And this one, the Shuttle AM fits in between those two. So now Pivot has what? They have three different e-bikes. Is that right? Yeah, the AM uh, was actually their first e-bike. when I went to a camp with them in May, they were saying that that was really just, <clears throat> they had to come out with an e-bike to appease their European market. And um, <laughs> had obviously to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously the e-bike uh, attitudes have changed in the U.S. since then. And um, I mean, it's a big change if you look at the first uh, versions of the Shuttle AM and mm. what they just uh, revised. So the new one looks pretty sweet. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And they, the, I guess the big update with that one too, is they went from the Shimano, uh, sort of drive system motor and battery to the, is it the Bosch? Is that what they're using? Yeah. Yeah. They're using a Bosch, um, which I also thought was interesting because now it's their third, uh, motor in their e-bike lineup. So the AM uses a Bosch, the LT uses the Shimano EP8 and the, Shuttle SL uses uh Pazua Ride 60 motor, huh. a really lighter wow. motor. Um, so yeah, I'm sure they have the reasoning. I haven't dove too much into um, why they decided to go with a Bosch on this motor, but mm-hmm. um, I'm sure they have a good reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the motors are getting more specialized too, where like, you know, some are going to be lighter weight, but lower torque, and then others are going to kind of flip that around and so yeah they might be better suited for like a enduro bike than a a trail bike and so speaking of trail bikes there's also trek released their aluminum version of the fuel exe which is a like shorter travel bike that i mean if you look at it and kind of squint like you can't tell that it's an e-bike i mean it's and that's by design like they want it to ride and feel and look like a normal bike that we're familiar with uh, just with a little bit of extra power to it. Um, and yeah, so this one is, again, they, they had the more expensive carbon version that came out first. And so this is making it a little more affordable. I think, I think the bikes are still over six grand though, for the cheapest one. So yeah, still not, not, not cheap by any means. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can, uh, catch them in a couple months and they'll knock uh, 10, 20% off <laughs> since they're trying to clear bikes out lately. At right. least a lot of brands are. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, and then one final news item, um, and this was sort of at Crankworks, at Crankworks uh, Outdoor Research actually was a title sponsor of one of the events there. I forget which one, maybe Speed and Style. Um, I think it was all of Crankworks. Oh, all of Crankworks. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, big, big sponsors making a big move into mountain bike clothing. Does this surprise you at all? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I feel like it's a sign that mountain biking is growing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, if you're familiar with outdoor research and what they've made over the years, like I remember using some of their products in the military and they make like just their gloves and beanies and stuff like that. They would contract and, um, and then of course, like they're known for just hiking and skiing and snowboarding. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say they at least rival Patagonia with, uh, the amount and variety of products they make. And I guess Patagonia started making mountain bike kits uh, a couple of years ago. So mm -hmm. maybe it's a good sign that mountain biking is growing and bigger companies like OR are recognizing that market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so when I read the news, you know, and I keep hearing this, like, oh, they're making a big push. Like we, I guess we first saw them talk to them at sea otter where they were like hey we're getting into mountain biking clothing mm -hmm. and uh but i looked and i was like wait a minute we reviewed some of their clothes like two years ago maybe it was three years yeah. ago or something um but the difference is at that time it, they weren't making like mountain bike specific clothing so they've always had like right. you said sort of outdoor focused stuff shorts you know technical t-shirts that you know, work for hiking or other activities. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of natural that it would work for biking as well. So it will be interesting to see kind of how, and if they tweak their clothing to like make it mountain bike specific, because the stuff we checked out, like it was fine for mountain biking. I don't, I don't recall that we had a lot of like criticisms where we were like, Oh, this is, this is a hiking short. This is, this will never work for biking. Like right, yeah. it's already pretty good. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've always liked our stuff, so I would definitely check it out. I think they've got a good brand, and uh, it feels pretty neutral. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I would definitely buy some of their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you compared them to Patagonia, and yeah, I would say that, like you said, they make a ton of outdoor gear, high quality. Just maybe like without the cool factor, right? Like they're not. There, it, and to yeah. me, that's what makes it great. Cause it's like, this is solid gear. Like I'm not necessarily wearing it because of the brand. Like I'm wearing it cause it works right. and it's good stuff. Yeah. Not a statement driven. Yep. Okay. So, wow. That was a lot of news. There's always a lot of news <laughs> and you know, right. you and I, like we, we work hard every week and our <clears throat> contributors to, to like cover this from the trail side and also the gear side. And so yeah um we may make this a regular feature on the podcast so if you enjoy it let us know um give us feedback if not let us know as well and we'll uh we'll adjust accordingly so what we're really here to talk about is drivetrains uh obviously if you've been following along uh, shram released their transmission drivetrain system uh earlier this year it's a wireless electronic uh, mountain bike drivetrain. Uh, so let's talk about the advantages. What are some of the advantages of electronic shifting? Yeah, I, I think um, to give it even like a little bit more nuance, we have to separate uh, advantages of electronic shifting and then the advantages of transmission, uh, right. transmission that just debuted. Um, and so yeah, we've had, it, it's kind of uh, crazy to think about that we've had SRAM access for like four years now. It's, mm -hmm. it's been a handful of years since they came out with their first version of uh, access. And then they followed it up relatively quickly with uh, direct mail. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think the big advantages are, if we're talking solely electronic shifting, it's one, you get rid of your cables. You don't have to worry about stretch cables and cable tension and adjusting your cables over time. And routing um, them. 
routing them, <laughs> simpler setup, and uh, cable rattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, I think this is an advantage, but the responsiveness of electronic shifting compared to cable actuated. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think maybe this could be up for debate too, but electronic shifting might feel slightly faster than even like a really good like xx or uh Hmm. um xo1 cable actuated shifting yeah Yeah. what do you think yeah um it is hard to gauge like you said like is it faster or not um and i guess it comes down i mean i'm always real careful with a cable actuated system like how i shift you know i'm very mindful of like pressing it (laughs) <laughs> like not too fast and right. not like trying to do a bunch of gears at once. Like, cause I've had, I've had plenty of drivetrain issues over the years. And if you had asked me just, you know, three or four years ago, like what's the most annoying part on your bike, I would have said drivetrain, like <laughs> yeah. just keeping the derailleur adjusted. And then, you know, problems that happen out on the trail, either with like, you know, stuff getting jammed in your derailleur or like snagging a cable or, you know, there's lots of problems, um, in my opinion, with existing sort of traditional drivetrain systems. And so, yeah, I mean, this wireless does address a lot of those. Um, but then, you know, as people point out, as most, a lot of people pointed out in the comments to some of our coverage, you know, there are trade-offs with that, obviously. So you're solving some of these problems with wireless, but then you're introducing new ones, um, or I should say electronic because Shimano has their own system, which is wired, um, but also electronic. And so, yeah, but you're adding a battery, which you need to charge. And, you know, there's other, other sort of disadvantages. Um, what are, what are some of the other disadvantages that, that you see to the system? Right. Yeah. It, it's a definite trade-off because um, you sort of trade the maintenance of cables, adjusting tension, swapping your housing, your shift cable. You're trading that essentially for batteries and, and mm-hmm. the things that go along with that, charging batteries. Um, in, in my experience, the batteries for access have lasted up to a couple months. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely... Uh, again, in my experience, it hasn't been a lot of charging. I'm not charging it. Like I charge my phone or something else. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're used to just pumping up your tires and rolling out for a ride, then it is definitely one more thing to think about. Yeah. Um, and then it's expensive. Uh, (laughs) it's a lot more money than it is for a cable actuated, uh, drivetrain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I think, all of us, you know, when something is new and it's different, like there, there is like a switching cost involved. Right. And I don't know yes. if that's like a, a disadvantage per se, but there are things that like you need to do differently or like, for example, installing it is way different. So if you're like super expert at putting your, you know, a new drivetrain, new mechanical drivetrain on, you know how to adjust it, you know how to do all that. Like you're gonna have to learn something new because this it's different. It's a different process. Um, you know, in a lot of ways it's easier. Like if you were to kind of look at the two processes, like if you didn't know how to do either one, you'd probably look at the wireless and say, uh, that's, that's easier. I'm going to do that one. Um, but then, yeah, also in terms of like how they work, like it took me a long time, um, still does for whatever reason with access, um, just getting used to the shifting because it's like a button instead of a lever. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, there's that. And, and the other thing I think we're fearful of is, um, this idea that we won't be able to like troubleshoot our drivetrain. Um, you know, if you're on the trail and your drivetrain, your derailleur stops working with an electronic, there's not much you can do. I mean, (laughs) you know, it could be a software glitch. It could be, you know, your battery's dead. Um, and I think that strikes fear in some people like that, that they are kind of losing control, but, um, but it does seem like the trade-off is you should just have less problems in general. So yeah, you could have that problem and and there's no way to fix it, but 
it's going to happen a lot less, I think, than, than with the mechanical system. Yeah. It, it, I'd say another, at least for me, this is a disadvantage is that it involves one more app on your phone and that's <laughs> a lot of the diagnosis yeah. and setup and everything. And yeah. if you're one of those people like me who is tired of always having to download a new app and start a new account and create mm-hmm. a profile and this and that, and it's like, oh, I have to do that again now for my bike. <laughs> like I already have Strava. What more do you want from me? Yeah. And, uh, but to SRAM's credit, it has been really, really simple using the app too. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've had, uh, well, I had uh, Eagle Transmission that needed dialing in um, on a bike a couple months ago. And I just put it off for like weeks mm-hmm. because I was like, I just don't really feel like going into the app and like starting the <laughs> app and figuring yeah. it out. And then I did, and it took like five minutes. It's actually really, really simple. Mm. And I'd say simpler than you know, playing with your cable tensioner on your shifter and shifting up a gear and shifting down a gear and adjusting mm-hmm. the tension and trying to find, um, what makes it smooth. Uh, so yeah, you've got the app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll say when I've been testing the GX, uh, transmission system, I, I haven't used the app at all. Um, so it is possible to do it without the app and, you know, a lot of, for me too, I'm just like you, like I did not want to get this app and, you know, I mean, we ride our bikes and even I work on bikes to get away from the computer, like, cause otherwise yeah. all my work is, you know, virtual and it's staring at a screen. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I really resist it. But then same thing, like when I was testing Axis a while back, um, I wanted to like switch the buttons around. Cause like I said, I'm so confused by the buttons. I don't know why, but I was like, I need to switch like the top and bottom button on this. Mm-hmm. So they just do the opposite thing. And yeah, and I put it off and put it off. I don't want to get the app. And then I finally got it and it took, yeah, like two seconds to do it. It's <laughs> like, okay, yeah. that's fine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what do you think about Eagle transmission? You actually, uh, reviewed it first. You reviewed XO, uh, a drivetrain that came on a bike, I believe what, which was, what was the bike that that was on? Uh, that was, a the second generation of the rebel ranger there. Okay. Down country bike. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you, what'd you think about it? Yeah, it was cool getting that bike around that time because it was right when transmission was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there was, uh, I mean, a ton of press around it. Uh, it's, yeah, we'll keep diving into this more throughout the conversation, I'm sure. But it is a big change in mountain bike technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, initially I was really just excited to try it and see how it worked. And I gotta say like, it's, for me, it lived up to the hype, um, Mm. aside from, I mentioned that after a month or two, there was one or two gears that was a little bit wonky and it took three or four minutes to fix on the app. But aside Mm -hmm. from that, uh, I feel like I put that thing through the ringer and a lot of other drivetrains. So for example, I raced, uh, 18 hours of Fruta on that bike and, um, it was, it's a very moon dusty course and mm-hmm. other athletes, like most athletes are rinsing off their drivetrains and cassettes after each lap. And I just said, Nope, you're going to get a proper <laughs> test. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. wash you until after the race. Uh, and it performed flawlessly the whole time. Oh, wow. And so, um, I would say like my overall impressions are there are some drawbacks compared to other drivetrains, but overall, I feel like it was the best shifting drivetrain I have ridden yet. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's powerful praise for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of listeners, I mean, and us included have experience with access. Cause like you said, that's been around for three or four years now. And, and they've got all the levels of that from XX one, I guess, all the way down to GX and, so yeah, a lot of people have had a chance to try that out. How, how does Eagle transmission compare to access? Like in your opinion, is it, is it pretty similar? I mean, looking at it on paper, 
it's like the same thing. It's 12 gears. It's wireless. It's, you know, they got the yeah. levels. So what, what's kind of the difference? Right. The major differences are one, they got rid of the derailleur hanger. Mm -hmm. um, so in theory, you've got a, uh, you don't have like this component that's made to separate the derailleur, the cassette, and is made to break and be flimsy, um, kind of negating the benefits of like a really nice shifting drivetrain. Mm -hmm. And so not only that, SRAM revised like the cassette mapping, they revised the chain. And so apart from just not having a derailleur hanger anymore, the system, the chain of the cassette overall feels like it uh, shifts more precisely mm -hmm. and more reliably, I'd say, than previous uh, SRAM cassettes and, and drivetrains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's wild how different it is, um, even though it does essentially the same thing. Um, I, I brought, when I was testing the GX transmission set, I needed to borrow a tool from a friend. So I took the derailleur and like some of the bits over to his house uh, so he could help me work on it. And when I showed him the derailleur, he just started laughing. He's just like, this yeah. thing is like so big and chonky. Like it's just, right. it's crazy. Like how much bigger it is. And, and there's like, you know, SRAM is obviously trying to like really use design to like set it apart. So it's like real angular and like, it's, it's different. It's almost like a cyber truck or something, you know, like the right, product yeah. <laughs> designers were like, this thing needs to look robust. And I mean, I think part of that is just to communicate like that it is much more robust than Axis and, you know, derailers that have come before it. Um, and yeah. And, and you talked about the chain is different. I don't know if, anybody's talked about this, but like, what's the deal with the T type chain? Like, is that all looks or, or is there some advantage that you know of for that, like sort of smooth profile along the top? Yeah, there is an advantage. I know they have been using that chain on road bikes, uh, for a while and mm -hmm. I should have brushed up ahead of the podcast, but there is a shifting advantage to having like the flat top chain. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have the well, I will, I will add it as a disadvantage uh, to the drivetrain because I've already had a problem where I was like routing a chain through and I realized I had it upside down, which before that was not a problem <laughs> yeah, that you right, have the right. chain upside down. Now it only goes one way. And even the quick links, I had to like swap them. So I was like, oh, yeah, shoot, yeah. they're going the wrong way. So, yeah, but it, I will say it looks cool again. And I'm glad to hear there's also like a performance advantage to it because it is different for sure. Yeah. With the bulk of the derailleur too, I mean, that's uh, another disadvantage is that uh, Eagle transmissions, it's noticeably heavier than uh, regular access. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say by a couple hundred grams, it's a, a big weight gain from yeah. previous systems too. And so I thought it was funny with, all of SRAM's marketing around the release and people standing on top of the derailleurs and look how strong it is. It's like, well, yeah. it weighs like a pound more. I was like, right. it better be a lot stronger and uh, <laughs> should be able to stand on it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, and one of the other, heavier. yeah. One of the other things that's, I guess, a downgrade, a bit of a downgrade from Axis is that you can only shift one gear at a time. And it, overall, it's a little slower too. The shifts are not instantaneous. Um, and that has to do, right. I think, with like the tooth profile on the cassette, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that was something a lot of people pointed out too. Um, in that it, it is one of the drawbacks. You get one shift at a time. You can't sort of just uh, mash through gears and, and find a lower gear drop uh, three or four gears at a time to get to a lower gear. Mm -hmm. Um, you've kind of just got to punch it a bunch of times. If you're about to go up, a a climb and, um, it'll get there when it gets there. <laughs> so I guess, do you want to be able to dump a bunch of gears or, and, and maybe wind your chain up at the same time too, on, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, an older drivetrain, or do you want to, uh, 
it, it is still pretty quick, but you know, you do have to singularly click through each one to get through uh, a lower gear this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that controller pod or the, the piece formerly known as a shifter. So, um, since it's wireless, obviously this is just like a little, it's a little pod that you connect mm -hmm. to your handlebars and the one for transmission is different from what SRAM is using for access. And you right. and I had kind of differing opinions. I like the controller better than the access one. Cause as I've said, I'm confused by the, the access. What do you, what do you think <laughs> about like, what's your beef with the new controller in terms of like how it works or how it feels? Yeah. It, gosh, I might even change my opinion too. Um, you I can't do that. That's not allowed. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stick with it. The, no. the bike I just got has a GX axis on it and for test it's a Canyon. And, and so now it's back to the little rocker paddle. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, to me, I guess it, the older axis shifter feels a little bit more familiar to a uh, paddle cable mm -hmm. shifter. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like. I, I feel like the ergonomics on the lever actuated uh, cable shifters, I, I think they're just better than, than probably both of them. They feel a little bit more natural to my thumb. Mm -hmm. um, and with, I think I've noticed this on the axis shifter and I've definitely noticed it on the transmission shifter is that I really can't get either of them close enough or close as I would like to my thumbs. Um, hmm. cause you, I've tried mounting them on the right of the brake lever and it's just not, doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's gotta be on the left, uh, side of your brake clamp. And even then it's just, it's a couple millimeters farther away from my thumb mm. than I'd like. I think that's mostly it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is, and I agree, it's not perfect at all. Um, but I guess I'm hopeful that because it is electronic, like it could take any shape that you want. And maybe, I mean, maybe people could even hack their own mm -hmm. thing. That's like a grip shifter or like, what if you had like two little buttons in your grip so that you like, you don't even have to you know, change your grip on the handlebars and you just like press it with your index finger and your middle finger. Like seems like they're the possibilities yeah, totally. are endless right. because it's electronic. And so this may be just like, well, I guess it's not version one, this is version two now, but I have a feeling there's going to be, there's going to be some changes there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and that uh, with, it being a fairly simple, like Bluetooth controller, you'd think that there's a lot of options for other companies to be able to create a product of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do wonder if we'll see, uh, some development there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned those Bluetooth too. I was asking a friend who's tech savvy, if there was such a thing as a Bluetooth jammer, Cause I was thinking, what if somebody had that in a race, you know, like yeah. they, they had a mechanical system and they're just like, riding by you and you couldn't shift when you get to that hill, right. like that would be, would be bad, but I don't, I don't think it exists. I Googled it a little bit. I didn't buy one, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that happens. Oh yeah. You would upset some people at races. Yes. And so, yeah, maybe again, could, could move that into the disadvantage column, but that's, that's more theoretical. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I mean the big, big change between axis and transmission, uh, as you mentioned, is the, the way it's mounted to the bike basically. And to do this, the transmission is direct mounted to your bike frame. And so to make that possible bike manufacturers, they all have to kind of get on board with this new standard. And the standard is actually called the UDH, I think is the name of the standard universal derailleur hanger. Um, mm -hmm. and so that was kind of the starting point for SRAM was this idea. I mean, maybe call it more of a Trojan horse where they were saying, Hey, we've got this idea that's going to, you know, simplify things yeah. for you. Cause derailleur idea. hangers, they suck. Like, I think we, most of us can agree that <laughs> they suck and it was hard because every bike had a different one. And so 
Yeah, so let's talk about UDH. Um, well, what like what do you think the kind of pros and cons are of UDH? Like, is this is this a good system? And yeah, do you think think it's going to be adopted by most everybody eventually? It seems that way. I, I think the premise behind UDH is great, and that I mean there are so many different derailleur hangers out there um, for different bikes. And say you go to Moab and you've got uh, I don't know, uh, you ride a a pole or uh, or an orange, some, yeah, or an orange, or <laughs> like I some do. bike yeah. made across the pond, and yeah. you break your uh, derail your hanger on the whole enchilada and you go into a shop and see if they, you know, there's a chance they might not have that hanger. And if you didn't bring one, then you're mm-hmm. kind of out of luck for the rest of your trip. Um, and so to be able to go to have a UDH equipped bike and go into a shop and say, Hey, do you have a UDH? And they're going to be like, yeah, of course we do because it's mm. kind of the standard now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a great idea and it's probably been a long time coming too. Mm-hmm. And then there's all sorts of complication and, in talking about, well, where does that leave Shimano and where does that leave, um, uh, standards for current bikes. One of the other things we've talked about a lot in the past year or two is like this arrival on, uh, on progression that like Hmm. geometry and suspension technology have progressed so far that we're kind of like at this, uh, um, calm level right now where to mm-hmm. where bikes don't need to keep progressing like they have been in the past 10 years. And then all of a sudden we've got SRAM EDH and, and transmission and all these bikes moving over to it. And now if you don't have one of those bikes, then you can't run Eagle transmission. Um, and maybe you're not as concerned about uh, having a universal derailleur hanger, but if you want to upgrade to whatever this new standard is, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it, it does seem like it's good. And, I was surprised. We, I think we were both surprised that um, this UDH standard actually was first like put out in 2019. So that was like mm-hmm. four years ago now that frame manufacturers have had a chance to, you know, integrate this into their latest models, and um, they've been able to, you know, kind of prepare for this. It sort of reminds me of like when Boost came out. You know, like everybody switched it seemed like almost overnight like frame manufacturers started making their rear ends boost compatible and um and that one there really wasn't a lot of like reverse compatibility i guess there were like kits you could get to like convert your old wheel to fit but at least in this case like they started with the hanger and so any derailleur that works with a hanger i assume uh, will work with a universal derailleur, derailleur hanger. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is, it does seem nice that they're thinking of like backward compatibility and it's, it's not as big as a, of a shift as uh, boost was because I remember that time, like a lot of us were like, I've got these really nice, like carbon wheels. And now you're telling me like, yeah. they're not going to work on a right. new frame. Um, so yeah, we've been through this before and <laughs> Coincidentally, it was SRAM that caused this before as well, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it seems pretty similar. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, if, if you go through reader comments uh, on the stuff that we've published around Eagle Transmission, a lot of people are vocal about that uh, they yeah don't feel like this is a good uh, progression for the drivetrain, mm. and they appreciate having a hanger that will break instead of a derailleur um you know strams made the transmission derailleurs uh fairly rebuildable out of uh, available components so mm-hmm. that if you do break it you can rebuild it and you're not just having to buy a whole new uh, $500 derailleur or whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah there's a lot of uh I, I wouldn't say that consumers or readers are completely uh, enamored with the release of <laughs> the transmission. Yeah. I was definitely one of those who said, you can't get rid of the hanger. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I ride a lot of janky trails that have all kinds of things, um, that will break your derailleur 
right off your bike. And so I, yeah, I was super skeptical, but yeah, I mean, like you, I kind of have changed my opinion now that I've put some time on it and just seen how robust it is. Um, you know, if anything, now I'm more worried that it's going to break the frame, which again, that was part of the idea behind a derailleur hanger was, you know, it, it will save your derailleur, but it'll also save your frame if there's, you know, some kind of weird situation. And with today's bikes being carbon and like, you know, that area at the dropout, it's not, there's not a lot of material there. And so right. it does seem like a concern. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll see if that's an issue, but yeah, as far as the derailleur, it seems plenty strong and, and I am really stoked about being able to potentially rebuild derailleurs. Cause I've, I've destroyed many a derailleur, um, especially like the, um, the pulleys, you know, that little like uh -huh. mechanism there. Like I've bent those pieces before and you just have to buy a whole new derailleur. You can't, you know, that part, it even seems like it should be replaceable, but in the past, right. like you just couldn't get those parts. And so it is welcome, you know, to hear that potentially we can rebuild the derailleurs. I guess that too, we'll have to see if those parts are widely available or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so also like in terms of the switch, I'm, uh, kind of surprised, or I've been noticing that, you know, we're seeing like all these bike discounts right now, um, that seem to be kind of supply chain related where companies have, you know, just excess inventory that they're trying to get rid of. And so recently when I got the, um, GX transmission in for test, I was looking for a bike I could put it on and I didn't have one that was UDH compatible. Um, and so I was like, Hey, maybe I'll pick up one of these, you know, bikes that's on sale right now, get a good deal on a bike and yeah. have something to test this on. But come to find out like none of the ones that are on sale are actually UDH compatible. Um, and so I don't know if it's related or not. You can get UDH compatible bikes, I think. Maybe you mentioned it. There's 200 plus frames that are mm -hmm. compatible, but they are like the latest models and you're not seeing those discounted, um, which kind of makes me think that a lot of people are demanding UDH or at least brands think that they will. Yeah, no, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that. Um, well, that's how I bought my bike last year is uh, Ibis was doing a bunch of discounts on their Ripley AF frames mm -hmm. um, and I needed a new frame. And um, so they took like five or 600 bucks off of it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know I love the bike. And it was just released like two years or something before that. And so mm -hmm. it didn't seem like, like they usually have a longer product cycle. It didn't seem like it was at risk of, you know, buying a frame mm -hmm. and then having a new one released right after that. Um, and then they rebranded, which is fine. Like I don't necessarily need a new paint job, but <laughs> the other thing was they also made uh, most of the new versions of their frames UDH compatible. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those things of like, um, yeah. Other riders in my shoes who have recently bought a new bike now feel like their uh, bikes are, and this is kind of silly, but quote unquote, ob uh, obsolete <laughs> compared right. to newer bikes. Um, I've been trying to tell friends or, or folks who have asked me about the new transmission, um, whether it is worth, worth it or not to upgrade. And, um, my opinion is that it would not be, it shifts really, really well, but I don't mm -hmm. feel like you're really gaining a big performance increase from transmission over an older drivetrain. Yeah. Is that, I mean, do you feel that way or? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause like you could, you know, if wireless shifting is what you want, I mean, you'll get most of the advantages by just getting like GX access. And, you know, I was, one of the readers uh, commented that he was saying, oh, well, you know, transmission, it costs way more than access does, um, which is not exactly true. I mean, the derailleur costs the same, uh, the shifter costs the same, but the difference is if you've got an existing SRAM Eagle drivetrain, and you want to go to wireless access, 
you just need to change out a couple parts. Uh, but to get transmission, you need all new everything. I mean, you need a new cassette, you need chain, you need, uh, I think even the cranks are specific to transmission. So, you know, in a lot of ways right now, it's way better to just go with access. It's going to be cheaper, uh, less hassle. And yeah, most people don't have a bike yet that's going to work with transmission and you know, really, I mean, that's, I'm sure that SRAM is not stoked about that. I mean, you know, we think about the, right. the owner of the bike not being stoked, being like, oh, my thing's outdated. But SRAM's like, shoot, I want you to buy this thing and you can't like, you know, so it is a, it's a tough situation for everybody. And the dealer, the, the bike brands can't be happy either because they are discounting these bikes that aren't UDH compatible and, you know, probably losing some money on that. And yeah, it is, it's a tough transition for sure. Um, but yeah. The, and I guess the question is, is it necessary? I, d I don't know. <laughs> I really right. don't like there are advantages, but gosh, yeah, there's kind of going to be a lot of, a lot of hard stuff in between now and like, when this is all over. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it's a smart progression for modern mountain bike drivetrains, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's definitely not, I mean, it's something I'm not jumping at, uh, to upgrade. And if I was in the position of buying a new bike right now, I'd be very stoked to get a bike with transmission on it, um, mm -hmm. just because it is a great drivetrain, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, I really like my current bike already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a wants versus needs thing. Right. And I'm trying to think, I feel like we, somebody wrote for us, maybe as one of our contributors about boost and, you know, like looking back, cause that was, whew, was that 10 years ago, 10 ish plus or minus, but it was a while ago. And yeah, and, close to it. Yeah. I feel like we wrote, somebody wrote about like looking back at that and being like, this was a really good thing because it enabled like a bunch of other stuff to progress, um, like in terms yeah. of, you know, improvements to wheels and drivetrains and like a bunch of different stuff. And so, yeah, I wonder if we'll look back on this and say, yeah, we had to get rid of the derailleur. Like it was, it was or the derailleur hanger. Um, uh -huh. you know, it was tough, but like, look at these other things and hopefully there are other things that it's not just like, Oh, well, you can get this fancy, you know, drivetrain on there. Like hopefully it's, we'll see other improvements as well because of this and innovations that people can, can make because now things are standardized or, you know, there's, uh, you know, different interface there at the dropouts, like who knows. This is something I had thought about early on because when you have the cost uh, the added cost of an electronic drivetrain with a direct mount. And I don't think the benefits, uh, of both need to be, um, I think they can be independent of one another. Do yeah. you think that SRAM will make a cable actuated, uh, direct mount drivetrain? Hmm. That's a really good question. I mean, I don't think it's a crazy idea because the price of an electronic drivetrain is never going to go low enough where it makes sense for certainly not for entry-level bikes, maybe even like whatever is, you know, one step above entry-level. And so, yeah, I mean, if I were buying one of these like budget bikes, I would love to have the advantages of a direct mount derailleur and drivetrain system. Uh, but yeah, at a more affordable price, you know, I think, cause you still right. get get the advantages of it's a more robust system. Um, I think we actually talked about this. Uh, maybe I posted in, in the comments section on an article when we first started like glimpsing this idea of direct mount derailers was that like you eliminate a lot of guesswork and like ambiguity in terms of like, where's the derailleur in relation to the cassette on a bike. Mm -hmm. And so it allows these tolerances to just be like, much closer and ultimately it should shift much better. And so, yeah, I mean, why totally. wouldn't that work for mechanical? And if, if that's what you need to do to get it to a good price point, like, do you think we'll ever see an NX, 
uh, wireless drivetrain or like an SX? Yeah, I don't know. I, at this point, because Access has been out a while and, and the most affordable line is GX, um, and it really seems like they're just leaving NX and SX just for uh, the most affordable yeah. bikes um, out there. But yeah, for me, it's like, um, yeah, like you said, I would, I would like to have the benefits of a direct mount drivetrain, the new cassette mapping, uh, the new chains, but I don't necessarily need the electronic shifting. I don't, I don't mm. need extra batteries. Uh, yeah. in that way, it feels like it would be an even simpler, um, simpler drivetrain. I, I don't know. I, people say there's a lot of different definitions of simple when it comes to this are, are cables simpler than batteries. Mm -hmm. Um, hard to say, I guess the one thing that we'd have to figure out is that you wouldn't be able to shift like you do on current cable actuated drivetrains. Mm -hmm. Um, you might have to limit if they did a cable actuated transmission, you might have to limit the downshift to just one click, one shift per click. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said too, you know, there's, there's a lot of different priorities in terms of like, I mean, we're always looking at problems with an existing system and then trying to, to solve them and you can't solve mm -hmm. them all. You can't make a perfect product and you have to prioritize things. And so with transmission, like you said, it's heavier. And so, yeah, I mean, what if, what if you are racing cross country and you want a super lightweight drivetrain that is, is reliable, but it's going to be lighter Then yeah, maybe that means you have to go cable actuated. I feel like that'll be kind of, I don't know, it's probably still years out, but that may be the next sort of trend that we see is uh, right. manufacturers trying to figure out again, like how do we make stuff lightweight? Because for a while they've gotten a pass that pe the consumers were all just like, ah, we don't care if it weighs a little bit more. We just want it to yeah. work better, feel better, um, all that. But at some point that, that can't keep going. Like <laughs> we got to say no, right. Like we, okay, we've got cool stuff now. We've got dropper posts. They're great. Like we're not, we don't want to give them up, but can you make them lighter? You know? So yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I, I think that if, if we see that trend, then yeah, mechanical might be, <laughs> might be one of the ways they do it. Cause they're like, there's no other way. We still need this battery. The battery is surprisingly big. And mm -hmm. you said you got like a month or two out of yours. Um, I haven't been getting as much and you know, there's reports too of people even like they leave their bike on their car rack and they drive for like an hour and they get there, the battery's dead because the bike thinks it's like moving and the derailleur's on. The oh, whole so time. it stays on. Yeah. So, and the battery, yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's bigger than my digital camera battery. Um, so, yeah, right. it's not small. It seems like if you could get rid of that and the motors and the servos and like all that stuff, it, it definitely adds weight. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, and I guess to qualify mine, like I've, I think on any bike I've had, um, cause I mean, usually we'll hang on to a bike for two or three months while we review it. And I've, I don't believe I've ever needed to recharge a, uh, an access battery before I've sent it back, hmm. but I'm also riding other bikes too right. long with that bike. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it not your like, daily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it must matter too. Like, um, well, obviously, yeah, it does matter how much you're shifting it. Um, cause yeah, where I ride is like just up and down and yeah, you probably have like more consistent, yeah. like you're climbing for 30 minutes or an hour, not really shifting. Whereas, yeah, I'm always up, down, up, down. Yeah. No, I shift once or twice <laughs> from the bottom <laughs> to the top of the hill. Yeah. And then, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, so this whole discussion has been very SRAM centric, uh, obviously because transmission is their drivetrain, their standard, they're kind of, um, the ones out front currently, how do you think Shimano is going to respond to all this? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and it was funny. I was out on a, a ride with a friend, uh, it might've been two or three weeks ago and he was asking me about uh, SRAM Eagle transmission and access and all that. And uh, 
then he asks, well, what is Shimano doing? <laughs> and I'm positive they are working and researching and developing right now. But um, yeah, it's been five years since they came out with their revised, uh, well, not revised, but since they came out with 12 speed. Mm-hmm. And since then, they, they've had a couple of releases, but I would say most of their releases have been geared toward the e-bike market mm-hmm. without doing really any major updates to mountain bike drivetrains. Mm. Um, they had the Q's release, which is sort of like an affordable budget drivetrain on lower, uh, or very affordable mountain bikes, which simplified a bunch of other product lines for them, but that's not really in the same market as like people that are buying SLX, XT, XTR, mm-hmm. and then SRAM GX. And, um, it's not in like the premium mountain bike line. So since then it's, it's like Shimano is really focused on their e-bike motors and their e-bike technology, and then, uh, incorporated automatic shifting into, uh, some e-bikes mm-hmm. during that time frame, there have been, uh, you know, file, uh, patent files for, um, direct mount Shimano drivetrains. Uh, mm-hmm. and then at this point it's like, you know, really it's just, a hearsay or speculation on what they're going to do mm-hmm. with that next. Um, but that, that really seems like what they've been doing lately is focusing on the e-bike market. And I think they've done well with that. Uh, and SRAM has really been pushing the development of, um, other drivetrains. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're a Shimano guy, your response to your friend should have been, well, what's SRAM doing with their, uh, e-bike drivetrain. Right. I mean, they're like, right, like you yeah. said, they don't have a motor, they don't have a battery. Like they're not, they're not in that market currently. I'm mm-hmm. sure they're thinking about it and, you know, maybe even they've got something in the works, but, um, yeah, both of these are like huge R and D endeavors. And so it's, it's not surprising that, you know, these companies have kind of had to like choose one thing and really focus on it to like keep pushing the technology forward. Um, and yeah, it is surprising to me because Shimano had such a huge lead on electronic shifting. I mean, a yes. decade, I mean, they had for road bikes, they've had electronic shifting forever. Uh, it was wired. It still is just wired. There's no wireless version of that. And there's speculation, you know, once SRAM, came out with Axis four years ago that, you know, that would be a pretty easy thing for Shimano to copy. I would think to just be like, Oh, the thing's wireless. Now we built in, you know, little radio controllers to the derailleur and the, and the shifter and now it's wireless. Um, so yeah, it is surprising that, that they haven't at least done that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you follow transmission. And I also don't know if there's like IP around it, like, can Shimano do a flat top chain? Can they, you know, make stuff that's going to be cross compatible because for a while there, um, drivetrains were very cross compatible and, you know, they used the same driver bodies and you could, you know, kind of mix and match your drivetrain. Whereas now, yeah, you can't do that, which is kind of a bummer. I guess it's another one for the the cons column here that we're kind of (laughs) going down this road of like, yeah, stuff is not interoperable. But yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was doing a little bit of research yesterday and um, like we were just talking about with Shimano investing so much in e-bike technology. In most cases, what I've seen is um, e-bikes with EP8 motors uh, are using a Shimano drivetrain with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably makes sense for brands and product managers. I'm sure there's some sort of wholesale discount and buying a bunch more Shimano stuff to mm-hmm. equip your bike with. Um, the Because I remember talking to the guys at Fizari in, uh, at Sea Otter when we were riding with them, um, their latest e-bike, the Tempeak. Peak, now you can get it with um, SRAM Eagle Transmission. What they've done is, because they do use a Shimano EP8 for that, and Shimano EP8 requires Shimano cranks. So they're basically using the EP8, they're using Shimano cranks and then building uh, the rest of the drivetrain from SRAM Eagle transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was another thing that uh, uh, Chris Kakalis mentioned that um, 
the camp I went to in May was that, especially with an e-bike and the added torque and power that you get with that, the transmission goes really, really nicely with e-bikes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if more companies and product managers are going to go that way and just uh, using a Shimano motor, Shimano cranks, and then equipping the rest with uh, SRAM transmission because it shifts really nicely that way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is, I mean, this has been a long conversation, but we didn't really mention like shifting under load is, is that being an advantage um, mm -hmm. of the drivetrain system. And yeah, for e-bikes, for sure. Like a lot of times you don't even know that you're putting that much load because you're not, I mean, like you're putting a certain amount and then right. the motor is putting like some multiple of your load on that. And yeah, that's, that seems like a good use case for it for sure. And maybe that hints at where SRAM is going with this, where they are prepared for a future where there's more electronic drivetrains, uh, sorry, e-bike drivetrains, motors. Um, and we, with Eagle transmission, there is, uh, like a Bosch option, I believe like a crank set that, that fits with a Bosch motor. And so, okay. yeah, they have partnered with them, but yeah, definitely not Shimano. Um, they're, they're keeping these things pretty separate right now, which I don't know. I don't know if that's good for us or bad for us. I mean, there aren't a lot of choices to begin with in terms of drivetrain stuff, but, um, yeah, but it is good to see them continuing to innovate with this stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, I think SRAM's doing a really, really good job of pushing development. Um, but I also think Shimano is going to have something that's really, really cool whenever they do. Uh, I feel like in a way they operate like Toyota, um, mm. which are, I mean, both are Japanese companies, uh, Toyota is known for just having really, really long product cycles, but then also getting, uh, spending a lot of time on research and development and having mm -hmm. a really reliable product when it does come out. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they'll have something that's awesome, <laughs> whatever they do. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would be shocked if they do not respond in some way or at least, yeah. uh, see some major updates to the drivetrain in the next few years. Um, but you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say I run Shimano on one of my bikes and it's super reliable. It's great. I have no mm -hmm. issues with it in terms of, um, what it delivers right now. So yeah, it's not like, I'm like, hurry up and update this thing so I can, you can make it better. Like it works well. And, um, totally. yeah, like you said, they, they spend a lot of time making sure that it does and that it's reliable. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see their take on this product segment. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I think we've kind of exhausted this drivetrain discussion, uh, though there's still a lot more uh, to know about SRAM Eagle transmission. Uh, be sure to check out some of the reviews that Matt and I have posted, including some more info about installation um, and sort of how all this stuff works. Uh, more in depth. Again, this, these are our opinions. You know, we're journalists, we test products, we've tested a lot of products, and this is kind of our take, but you know, there's lots of other opinions out there. And so, yeah, we'd love to hear yours as well. So leave us a comment um, or get in touch with us over email. So we've got this week, we'll talk to you again next week. Mm -hmm.